Well, good morning. And there's congrats to Sam and Clarissa. That's awesome. Now I don't know what to bug you about, but uh, once you get married, then it's about when's the baby coming. Start hitting you on that, but uh, I love rousing the young people. It's like I jo- joked with Josh the other day. What is it? I said, ah, it's something about eh, when the baby comes and she got the big looks and no, they're not pregnant. Rachel's not pregnant, but you got to mess with these young people. Um, we're going to continue on with our study that uh, we looked at several weeks ago, the tribulation period. And then we're going to continue on today and finish up the tribulation. And then in February, hopefully we'll finish up and go into eternity, have the money, kingdom, and so forth. But we'll see how far we can get today. Um, we're going to have a lot of reading, a lot of uh, stuff to look at. Uh, my mind is again, ah, this stuff, looking at it. You know, it's one thing when you study something and, and, and you read commentators and they're all in agreement and they're saying this is, this is what they see. Um, but when it comes to this end time stuff, it's not to d- dispute whether or not the events are going to take place, but it's the lining up of the events uh, and trying to find that chronological order of what's going on. And then there's always assumptions that are being made. So your mind just starts spinning. I mean, for illustration, I mean, you take just the two witnesses. Um, some commentators put the two witnesses in the first half of the tribulation. Other commentators put them in the second half of the tribulation. But my main goal and what I want you to focus on is not so much my perception of what I think is going to take place in that order, but that the events will take place and that there will be two witnesses that come and that will testify for three and a half years of the Lord Jesus Christ and will be killed and be risen, risen again and the whole world will see them rise again. Um, as well as the battle from the north, Magog and so forth, and, and some put it at the the middle, some put it towards the end, part of the Battle of Armageddon and so forth. And you can refer back to uh, Mike Atwood, who spoke here at one of our Claremont conferences, did an outstanding job on Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39. But the main point is, is that this battle in history has not taken place, but it will take place. And that's an important thing we want to look at and um, not get dogmatic. The other thing I want to hit before we, we start off is just a reminder of why do we study in times? Why do we look at prophecy? Why do we look at this stuff? Um, one of the, the, the main things, it's not just to know future events, not just to make us a little bit smarter and be able to tell people uh, what's going to happen in the future, but it gives us tremendous comfort that when we see the world as we would see it falling apart, the great apostasy, everything's falling away from churches from Christianity of, of Christians that are no longer keeping the word of God to the sexual immorality, to, to the, the, the moral um, uh, standard in America and in the whole world has just dropped. And as Christians, persecution is going to start coming. But we know for a fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will return again. And there's comfort to know that the Lord Jesus will return again and he will restore this world to where he will rule from Jerusalem. This gives us tremendous comfort as well as this tells us, as the scriptures talk about, when you see uh, the trees are bringing forth their fruit, then we know what season is about to take place. 
And so you can see the end times of the day the Lord is coming, and it shouldn't overtake us as one that, that, that's, that's uh, ignorant to what's being taken place. We should be aware, and we should see and be uh, zealous to be uh, a witness for Christ, that the time is short. We have a short time here to tell our loved ones, to tell our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, whoever it might be, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. It should motivate us to live a godly life, knowing that our Savior is going to return to one day take us home to be with himself. May we be active, living for him and, and accomplishing his work and his will. So up until now, we've looked at the different things. There's a seven-year tribulation. The rapture takes place. There's the great apostasy, the falling away that's going to take place. The man of sin is going to be revealed. The Antichrist, the first beast, the little horn, and he's going to go forward. And we, we've looked at there's the false prophet. There's the dragon, which is Satan. These are different characters within this seven-year tribulation. There's going to be seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. There's going to be tremendous death that's going to take place. Not only of God pouring out his judgment upon the world, but as well as Satan through the beast, through the Antichrist, killing Christians, slaughtering them. This is going to be a tremendous time of where water turns the blood, of natural resources that are going to be without. It's going to be what's described in the last three and a half years that if the days were not shortened, no flesh would, would survive. This is going to be a tremendous time. Something that the world has never seen before. This is a day of the Lord when he intervenes in the affairs of mankind. We've looked at a lot of this stuff, and now we're going to look towards the end. And I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And here, what I want you to pick up out of this is, and as we read through this whole chapter, um, I want you to pick up the, 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 the fact that Satan is zealous in pursuit of Israel and to kill that seed from the very time that the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem all the way to the very end. His zeal in pursuit of the woman and her offspring is uh, is tremendous. He has within his mindset, I believe, the scripture laid out of, of what his destiny is. And perhaps he believes it, but I believe he doesn't. I believe within his reasoning that he thinks that he is equal with God Almighty and that he could thwart the will of God and accomplish it. Maybe I'm wrong, but he gives such great effort in trying to destroy God's plan. Look at verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garment of twelve stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child, as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. There she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her one 
1,260 days. And here we see, this is Satan. And as Israel gives birth, this woman, Israel, gives birth to the child, this male child, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan attempted to, to eradicate that child. Verse 7. And what many commentators surmise is that verse 7 is about the, the middle of the tribulation. This is in, in the middle half. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, which is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serp that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, he accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Here we have a tremendous battle that takes place in the heavens, in which we know the accuser of the brother in Satan goes in day and night and accuses us, Christians. He did it to Job, and we see in the first few chapters of Job where he goes before the Lord and accuses uh, Job of, of he, if, 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 if he, he only touched his life, if he only took this away from him, and he would curse God and die, and we know the results of that. But how much of our lives do we give ammo to the evil one, to the accuser of the brother, and that he can go before Lord Jesus Christ and say, look, if you call that a redeemed one? You call this one one of your servants? Look at his unfaithfulness. Look at how he lives his life. But the Lord is always going to stand for his people, for his redeemed he shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. He, and it says in verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And that blood is always before the throne of God. That blood, that, that our price for sin was paid in full. The other thing, just a quick note here, the accuser of the brethren. That's a work of Satan. That's a mark of a false teacher. Let it not be named amongst us. How often are we critical of our own brethren? How often do we go and bring a charge against one another? That's a work of Satan behind us, driving us to cause division, driving us to, drive, to cause separation, disunity. But remember, the mark of Satan is he is the accuser of the brethren. Let us show the mark of a Christian and a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have a love for one another. So here's Satan, he goes to battle, and he takes his angels, and they battle, and Michael battles, and they are cast out of heaven. He loses the battle. No longer does he have access to the heavens, and he is cast down to earth. No longer is this accuser get to go before God. But see, look at the very last part, and maybe I was wrong in not knowing uh, his time, but he says he knows that he has a short time. And if he truly believes this, and he is losing, then... He's going to do everything he can to stop the will of God. Let's continue on in verse 13. I wish we had time to go over more of this stuff, but this is just the background to where we want to get. 
Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan's mad. He is being defeated. Satan hates God. He hates anyone associated with God, and he wants to destroy Israel, and not only Israel, but all those that claim to be Christians. All those that during this tribulational time are going to reject the mark of the beast, are going to reject the worship of this beast, and are going to stand in, in, as believers for Christ. And he's going to go after them, and he's going to go after them. I believe this, this so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth as a picture for him. Of as, as you see floods that go through neighborhoods, what does it do? It, it envelops all the areas. It'll go into the houses, and there's nothing that survives the water. It'll go into every crevice and every crack. And as the, the children of Israel hide from this serpent, he's going to search high and low for these individuals. Perhaps this is a time of where the mark of the beast is out there, and they're going to enforce that whoever does not buy that uh, take that mark, cannot buy or sell. But not only that, they're going to be put to death. Their head's going to be uh, chopped off. They're going to be beheaded. And he's going to pursue the offspring of Israel and everyone that names Christ within this tribulational period. He's going to go and he's going to kill them. So how does this affect us? How does this get into the study of our, our uh, last time? Is what I believe you see is you see the beast, who is the Antichrist, driven by Satan, given all power. And his military action is one that is not only demanding worship, but he's going after all the children of Israel. He's going after everyone that names Christ. And we're going to see in this last days of the, of the last days of the tribulation of how there's going to be a great and mighty day of battle. Clearly going to be a war in which all the nations are going to rise up against Israel. All the nations, and I'm talking every nation, and that includes the United States if we're still here. Every nation is going to set their, their, their hearts against Jerusalem. Everyone's going to gather to the great day of battle against the Lord. This is going to be a mighty day in which God is going to be victorious. And this is what we're going to look at. And I believe the pursuit of this is not only does God say, come. All you nations, come, let's do battle. It's time for him to redeem uh, his people and vindicate them in the sense that they have shed the blood of Christians for so many years and the heavens have been silent. But no longer will the heavens be silent. No longer will the Lord Jesus Christ be silent, but he will come himself in the clouds and his feet are going to touch on the Mount of Olives. His feet are going to come back to Jerusalem where he's going to set up his kingdom. And when his feet touch 
Zion, there's a roar that's going to go out. There's going to be a physical change of an earthquake. And the king will return. Let's look at this a little bit. Turn with me. And what I want you to, to focus on as we get, I know a lot of times in the, the last days, we, we look at the Battle of Armageddon. And a lot of times we focus in on this particular battle. But there's actually several battles that take place. And, and perhaps many commentators say it's better to describe or better to translate the word war because there's going to be many campaigns or battles that go on in these last days of where the Lord's going to go and he's going to fight for his people. Now, as to the, the, the correlation of, of when these battles take place in, in the chronological order, I don't know. Everyone's all over the board on them, and commentaries have their different perspectives. But what we see is there's going to be the battle in Jerusalem. There's going to be a battle uh, down in Edom. There's going to be a battle of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. There's going to be the battle of Armageddon. These are all different scriptures that are referenced. In Isaiah 63, 1, talks about the battle of Edom and where the Messiah is coming back and he's covered in blood. And he's gone down there to eradicate those that are in opposition to Israel. As well as the battle of the, battle of the valley of Jehoshaphat in Joel 3, 1 through 16, where he tells all the Gentiles to come. And there's a judgment that takes place. But the most famous battle, the most well-known one, is the battle of Armageddon. This valley in which all the nations are going to gather together. And I believe a cry is going to go out from the Antichrist, from the, the devil, and from the false prophet, telling all the nations, let's come together. Let's destroy this one, this Messiah. And they're going to gather together in this great valley. So let's look at Zechariah. Um, first of all, let's turn to Revelation chapter uh, 14. And I want to give you a, a vivid picture of what it's going to talk about here in, in this battle that's going to take place across all of Israel. Verse 14 of, of Revelation chapter four, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, having <coughs> temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had the power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him, to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs approximately 200 miles. We're not going to get into this, this uh, the, the, the reaping per se, because we're going to get into that later on when you have the separation of the sheep and goats. But what God is going to do in the end times is he will go forward and separate all, all the sheep and all the goats. Those that are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will inherit the millennial kingdom. Those that have rejected Christ will be cast into hell for all of eternity. 
There's going to be a reaping that's going to take place, but not only a reaping in the sense of, of, of uh, casting away, but a reaping in the sense of the winepress. And when he gathers all these that reject God and want to fight against God, come forward. Because you're going to see in these battles, if we have time to read them all, this winepress in verse 20, which was trampled outside this city, the blood came out this winepress. Now we know grapes, and it talks about grapes when they're fully grown and developed. There's juice within them, and they'll stomp on these to get the juice out, which you can now get grape juice, or, or you can get uh, let it ferment and have wine. But they're full. And this battle that, that are going to take place, there's going to be so much bloodshed that it says it's going to be up to the horse's bridle. And it's going to be approximately 180 to 200 miles long. There's going to be so much bloodshed that there's going to be so many millions of people that are going to rise up and come against Israel and want to destroy Israel. They want to get rid of the Lamb of God and his people. They're tired of these people. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. Here we're going to see, and this is um, what I believe outside this city, and this is where the Lord is going to return. First off, I could be wrong. And again, don't get caught up in the, in the order of events, but um, I have a feeling, and I, I, I believe that perhaps the Lord, when he returns, his first place he's going to is his capital city. Zion, Jerusalem, other scriptures talk about he's going to roar from this city. The king's going to return. This is his city. Jerusalem, God loves. Nobody takes Jerusalem. But look at verse 1 of chapter 12. The burden of the Lord, the, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of the man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. Now I want you to notice when it says all peoples and all nations. And, and um, it doesn't just mean a few, but it means all. They're literally coming against them. And perhaps this is because they're, they're coming against them because they hate the Jews. And they hate God's people. And they hate the tribulation that has been poured out upon the, the, the world. So what else are they going to turn their vengeance and their wrath towards? The people of God. And perhaps also there's so many few, there's so few of resources within the world. And Jerusalem is, is uh, has tons of resources. So they might be coming down to get that as well. But anyways, irregardless, but I want you to notice is that all people are coming against them. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their hearts, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. 
In that day, I'll make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile, and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding people on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than the, that of Judah. And in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in the day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for the firstborn. Switch over to chapter 14. Fourteen, verse one. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. Verse two. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth. And fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west. Making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And onward it goes. What do we see here? I believe we see as it's telling us. All the nations come against Jerusalem. They've invaded the land. They've surrounded Jerusalem. They're coming in. They've not only come into the city, but they're going in and, and, and ravishing everything that's there, taking whatever they might feel is, is theirs that they want to take. They have no regard for the people of God, and they would just as soon kill them and take all their stuff. Jerusalem's going down, it's going to fall. But if there was ever a last minute person that could step in and stop the attack, it's the one that's going to come in dramatic fashion. As his people are about to, his town, his city is about to be taken, be returned. Can you imagine the scene? You know, today's day and age, we, we have TVs and, and the, the press is able to cover. And we, we've seen from the different... Uh, Wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth. We'll see reporters actually out on the battle stand, on the battleground. And uh, through video cameras, you can at any time have a live feed coming straight back. And I want you to think of that about that because even like the two witnesses, they're going to be on video. They're gonna, the news is going to cover it. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whoever it might be, is covering these two witnesses that are proclaiming the name of the Lord and, and being a testimony and a witness. And as people try to kill them and fire devours them from the mouth of these witnesses, this is going to be seen worldwide. As well as when the two witnesses are killed, it says that, that Jerusalem's going to rejoice, the world's going to rejoice that these two individuals are killed, but they'll see the resurrection on live TV of these two individuals, and they'll be caught back up into heaven. 
as well as this has taken place. You see, people aren't going to mourn for Jerusalem. They're not going to mourn for the children of God. They're not going to care about them. They're going to be happy to see them, them killed and slaughtered. But there's one person who cares for his people and who's going to return for him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Jerusalem's going down, it says in verse 4, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large value. It's going to shake. And in Joel, it talks about, Joel 3.16 says that he's going to roar from Zion. The line of the tribe of Judah is going to return. Now what I believe, and again, don't, this is just my perception of it, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and he's going to stop this invasion within Jerusalem. He's going to push them back. And he's going to start from there in his military campaign, whatever he chooses to do, he's going to go forward. And in the south, you have the Battle of Eden. You have the Battle of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And in the north, the Battle of Armageddon. And one of the, you're going to see the rivers Euphrates is going to dry up to allow the battle, the, the people from the east to come over. You're going to have all the nations all of a sudden go in, in, in full alert that the Messiah has returned. Now turn with me back to Revelation chapter 16. I'm going to tell you why I believe this. And again, some people put this Jerusalem battle at the end. I, I, I'm not there to disagree or argue. I'm just telling you what I think I see, but I could be wrong. But the important thing is I want you to gather from this is that these events are going to take place. Look at Revelation chapter 16. In verse 12, then the, sixth and then the sixth angel poured out his bowl of the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather him together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. This is going to be where the great battle takes place. And this one, the, the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are going to spew out these deceiving demons that are going to go forth to all the nations. And they're going to cry out to all the nations to come and battle against God. Battle against this Messiah. Battle against Christ. That he has returned. And he's going to deceive all the nations that even the United States of America is going to send troops. We're all going to send troops in every nation that is in this world. Not only have they, we sent, I, I believe it, it, it's a partial troops in which they're all going into Jerusalem to take them over. But now you're going to dispatch the big military. Now the kings, the generals, all the important people are going to this battle. It's time to defeat. And he's going to call them all together. And this place in which they're going to do battle, in which the, the beast is going to gather them together, is this place called Armageddon. This is a tremendous, this is a valley up by Megiddo. That is 
described by some as a tremendous ideal place for battle, to where nations can stand off against each other. And you see here you have the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand off against all the nations that are going to try to overthrow them. And these nations are going to be led by none other than Satan, the beast and the false prophet. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to see fuller of this battle that I believe takes place. Verse 11 of chapter 19, and this is the second coming of Christ in glory. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Which I believe is us. We are his, the bride of Christ, and we are going to be the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he is. And not only are we in heaven with him at this time, but we're going to follow him into battle along with him. 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty God. Remember the winepress that we referred back to in, in chapter 14? He's the one that's going to come. And squish the grapes. Verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that, that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains. The flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all the people free and slave and both small and great. You see, within this battle of Armageddon, when they stand off, there's going to be the greatest of the greatest in the world. The kings, the captains, the generals, the lieutenants, whoever you might say, all these great warriors are coming with their, the best of troops and they're going to be slaughtered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is going to fight against them. There's going to be so much carnage that the birds of the air are going to come down and they're going to be able to feast on all the flesh of all these men. Now, this is a gory sight. This is not a sight we want to we particularly enjoy reading or looking up, but I think it's a sight that we got to see in which God judges sin and God must judge evil. You see, when you stand in opposition to God and you stand in opposition to sin, you must be judged for your sin. All this time, all the persecution of, of Christians, all the persecution of Israel, all the persecution that's going on, that these guys want to kill the Jews. Lord Jesus Christ is going to fight for them. He's going to vindicate them. And he's going to go forth and be victorious. Verse um, 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Here, the end of the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to fulfill 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he himself will destroy the, the lawless one. He himself is going to take the false prophet and take the Antichrist, and they're going to, he's going to cast him alive into the lake of fire that's burning with fire and brimstone. Satan, at the end of this time, his judgment will come. In verse 20, verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years was finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Here at the end, not only are the, is the false prophet and the antichrist, the beast cast in the lake of fire, but Satan is going to be bound into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And what God's going to then go forward and do, how much time we got left? Um, turn with me to Revelation 25, or Matthew 25, I'm sorry, Matthew 25. And what's going to happen then is a separation of the sheep and goats, you see, because only true believers, only people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to go into the millennial kingdom, are going to pass on. And at the start of the millennial kingdom, it's going to be all true believers, as well as what we didn't get into, but there's 144,000 of Jews that God has preserved and that he has marked out and he has sealed and they will go forward into the millennial kingdom. And they will at this time, at that time, set up the kingdom in Israel, in Jerusalem, in which all will come to worship the Lord and pass through. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31 says, When the sons of man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate from them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and, and uh, feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you were a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these brother, my brethren, you did unto me. Then he, will say, then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 13.
Matthew chapter 13. If we had time, we would look at the, the, <clears throat> the explanation of, of the field. And the sower goes out and sows good wheat. And then the enemy comes in and sows in tares. And then you have them mixed in. And not until the end of the age is God going to separate these two out. In which he gives his interpretation of this parable in verse 36 of Matthew 13. Um, and we'll read verse 37. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And tie that into the reapers of Revelation chapter 14. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all those things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will be cast into the furnace of fire. They will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as well as you have the dragnet. In verses 47 and onward. As powerful as Satan thinks he is. And as valiant of an effort he thinks he can come and defeat the Lord. He will be defeated. You see at times we think that, that this world's in chaos. And at times we think the evil one is in control. But at no time is God ever surprised or taken out of control. He accomplishes his will. He will be victorious. And in one day, the Lord Jesus Christ not only will come back and take us to be home with him. This is a coming for the saints. But the second coming will be the coming with the saints in which he returns to this earth. In which he will set up his kingdom. In which he will reign a thousand years in Jerusalem, in Israel. And literally, nations will come to worship him. We look forward to that day in which we will be with him, serving him in that kingdom. And perhaps the next time we come together in February, we'll look at a little more of the millennial kingdom and what it's going to be like. Power and prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just stand in awe. And we thank you that you are a God that is so much greater than our minds or our thoughts. Our own planning can ever be, Father. You are in absolute control and your sovereignty. Nothing takes you by surprise. And we thank you for that. We pray that you'll comfort our hearts, Father, comfort our lives as we go about in this world. As we see man and their lawlessness and they turn from you and they, they curse your name, O oh God. Give us the strength and the opportunity to be witnesses and testimony in this day and age, Father. And we just pray and thank you for this time to come together and study your word. We pray that you open up our minds and hearts and speak to us through your word. And Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.